friend. This is part two of the conversation that I started with Dr. Melissa Hankins last week. I'm super excited for us to finish it up and for you to hear more little drops of goodness. So let's get into it right away. take a slight pivot because I think it's something that as over the last five years has been really revealing in my own life is looking at how early life trauma perpetuates through into physicianhood. So many of us are helpers, are fixers, are come to the table with, with that in our hearts, which is great and good and altruistic. But I also find in myself and in many of the folks that I work with that that's also coming from a place of maybe some dysfunctional family units. Maybe it's coming from learning perfectionism very early in life. What say you about that? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. And and I, I'm also one of those, you know. I have a high ACEs score, too, you know, um, as, as you do. And I also want to point out to folks, when they hear the word trauma, I think this is really important for people to to keep in mind. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a, quote, big T trauma. It doesn't have to be a death or uh, abuse or, or anything like that. It could be that you were criticized often, you know, and that's traumatic. And, and because maybe you were uh, told that, okay, well, you have to do it this way, because if you didn't do it this way, you were laughed at, you were criticized, you were made to be wrong in some way. And as children, we have very limited resources, for how we can cope with a situation. And so our coping as kids is really to make the adults around us happy and because we rely on them for our safety. And so, so we develop these coping strategies, whether it's people pleasing, whether it's to be perfectionistic, so we don't get criticized or yelled at, or we, we become very quiet and meek. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't set boundaries because, you know, we weren't allowed to, you know, that wasn't permissible as kids. And so that becomes part of our conditioning and our belief system of what is right and what is wrong. And especially before the age of seven, we have that conditioning that happens because our minds are in a different brainwave state. We're in an alpha theta brainwave state, which is basically the learning state. So whatever we take in at that point is becomes part of our, our operating drive, if you will, you know, operating system. So because of that, that will perpetuate throughout our lives until we choose to become conscious of it and make conscious efforts to change the patterns of behavior. Yeah, I think that's so good. And, and something I hope more people start to work through for themselves because it's well and nice to go into coaching and want to change all these things. But if we don't understand, like you said, how the operating system was set up, yeah, you can make short-term goals and some small changes and that sort of thing, but you're never going to get down deep enough to have that true 
new person transformation. Right. And like, oh, no, 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 we don't do that anymore. Yeah. Type of thing. Yeah, because those behaviors that we as adults criticize ourselves around that we're like, oh, I, I should stop. I need to set boundaries or or I should stop being a workaholic or a perfectionist or all the things that we start to beat ourselves up around. And we're like, yeah, let me get some coaching around that. And it can help to an extent, but we have to understand that those behaviors served us at some point. They don't serve us any longer, but they served us and they likely served us on such a deep level as to create safety and security. And when you have a behavior that is tied to your safety and security, your mind, your survival uh, instincts are going to do everything it can to hold on to those behaviors. Good old amygdala. You got to love it hanging out in there. Well, thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And and one thing I want to leave us on a, a brighter note is moving forward, we cannot change what happens to us. Right. It, you know, we cannot work a perfect schedule for which no pain, suffering, sorrow ever happens. We can't do our jobs without there being some hurt. We can't even walk through this day, day-to-day life, even if we're not physicians anymore and not experience. It is a part of life. But what can we do to minimize that like ongoing trauma within us? Yeah. So really, first of all, showing yourself compassion compassion for the fact that yes this came from a place where yes this this did serve me this did help me at one point and wow it helped me so much it allowed me to get to the point i am now like it allowed me to survive and and you know accomplish all these things so i'm really grateful for it and at the same time i can let it go now so allowing yourself to have self-compassion and even self-forgiveness is really important. So that's a, a really key piece. Another piece is when you are experiencing something in your day-to-day that feels traumatic in some way or that really disrupts or dysregulates your nervous system, make sure that you have outlets to actually get back into your body. Because as physicians, once again, we are conditioned to shut off ourselves from our emotions, shut ourselves off from our bodily responses. And and the more that we do that, the more disconnected we feel from ourselves and from our humanity. So when we can do things that allow us to kind of discharge that trauma, whether it's being in some way physical, going out for a walk, exercising, having sex, you know, these kinds of things that can really help us get back into our bodies. And also in that moment, even just connecting with your breath and bringing breath in to your body. And I, of course, do, you know, I do orienting tapping, which takes like two or three minutes. And you could just tap on certain tapping points of your body and and just really connect with being present. Because trauma is not the thing that happened to you. It's how you are reacting to the thing that happened to you. And if you are reacting to it and stuffing it down, it's going to resurface. 
So if you have ways to allow yourself to let it out in that moment or shortly thereafter, you're less likely to have it continue to play back in at times when you least expect it. Yeah, I know for me, you know, in primary care, and sometimes we find the bad things first. And so it seems like here lately, there's just been a rash of bad news that I've had to bring people back into the office. And I purposely tell my nurse, like, that was really hard. Yeah, That was really, really hard. And just like acknowledging it in the moment instead of like rushing into the next room. Or I find too, my office managers on the far, far side of the building. And I'll just walk over there and say, I just had something really hard happen. I just needed to walk over there and then I'll walk back to my side of the building as well. Those were things I would never even allow myself to do before because I was quote unquote too busy or needed to move on or, or that kind of thing. And when you start, like you said, giving yourself the permission to have that compassion for yourself, I find that then I don't have the bad dreams at night. I don't have the rumination of thought, you know, and that sort of thing that it is, it is really freeing and I'm still not a good, still not good at it. Like, what emotion am I even feeling right now? I cannot tell you, you know, but I think that's something that we're all still, still trying to get a gauge on, but just know that you're actually feeling is a really first importance. Yes. And maybe even, you know, as you were talking, what dropped in for me is if it's helpful for you to have something in your office, like, uh, you know, a bear or soft blanket or something that's really tactile that feels like comforting and loving and and self-care, you know, just kind of go in and hug it or even ask for a hug from a a staff member. Say, you know, or talk, you know, I I mean, I'm a hugger and, and say, if you and I were working together in the same space, I might be like, Aaron, I just really need a hug right now. Some shit went down, you know, and I just, I, I just, I need to feel connected. And and so it may be a physical kind of thing. It may be, just as you said, just acknowledging and telling someone else. Or it might be, you know, having something that helps you feel more grounded and connected to yourself that feels loving and nurturing. Explain to me, I think I have a basic knowledge, but explain again to me and to the audience how EFT emotional freedom technique tapping helps to get at this trauma that we haven't been able to release and we haven't been able to ke- to connect to others. Right. How, how that works. So, so basically what EFT tapping does is you're tapping on a, on a set of acupressure points, similar to acupuncture, but without the needles. And as you're tapping on it, it does a few things. You are, while you're tapping, you're you're pulling up some sort of emotion or memory, something that feels unsettling or uncomfortable in some way. So you're connecting with that on a cognitive level. And as you're doing that, you're also connecting or even if you aren't consciously able to name the emotion, you're feeling it somewhere in your body. So as you're bringing that up, you're you're experiencing that. And so as you're 
tapping, what the tapping does is it's sending a calming signal to your amygdala, basically saying, hey, stand down, you're safe. You're safe in this moment. And even while you're thinking of this distressing thing, because our minds are really looking to, when we feel something that's distressing or experience something that's distressing, our minds might think, oh, this is dangerous. My safety is at stake. And that's really 99% of the time, not the case. We are not actually, you know, our life is not being threatened most of the time. And so, so we're needing to send that calming signal to our amygdala to bring down that survival stress response so that our cognitive mind can come back online. Because when our survival uh, response is kicked up, then our cognition is like, you know, it, it goes out the window and we are all about like, I got to get out or I got to defend myself or I got to do, you know, whatever. And so tapping really brings you back into your body, brings you back into the present moment and helps diffuse that stress response. And there's research that shows how it decreases in real time in the moment cortisol levels better than uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or anything like that, even, you know, with a 45 minute kind of tapping, but you can even tap for a couple of minutes and have some decrease in your stress response. Yeah, I love that. Thank you for that explanation, because coaching is great. Therapy is great, but there are so many other tools that work in, in different ways that I've found in my life that have have really helped in a lot of different ways. So, folks, if you're out there listening and you're like, mm, I might need to get some of what Melissa's talking about, you do. You absolutely 100% do. I've gone to many of her group tapping. She's done stuff for us through PCA individually, and um, it really it really is a lifesaver and helps to recalibrate everything. All right, Dr. Melissa Hankins, tell us about this new book. Tell us about all the new stuff you're doing, because <laughs> I know you got lots of stuff going on, I, I, and I want to brag oh, on you. Well, thank you. Thanks so much, Erin. So actually, this past weekend, uh, a book came out that I am a co-author for, along with over 50 female physicians. And the book is called Thriving After Burnout, a compilation of real stories and strategies to reduce female physician burnout. And it's available on Amazon. Uh, it's uh, it's really runs the gamut of stories from burnout to addiction, to suicidality, to perfectionism, to, you know, workaholism, to kind of all the things, to marriage issues, you know, all of these things that are impacted in our lives as being a physician is, is, you know, so, and, and strategies for how to come out on the other side of that. And so undoubtedly, if, if you get the book and I hope you do, because once again, we've been talking about not feeling alone and you will see yourself in, in many of the stories, I'm sure. So, so it can really help you feel like, wow, I'm not alone. Other people have gone through it and they've gotten through it. 
So it's a, a really useful uh, and, and helpful resource for folks. And then, you know, other things that I'm doing, uh, I've, I've been talking more, as you have mentioned, I've been, you know, talking more about trauma in, in the coaching space, uh, because there's often this idea that trauma is in the therapy lane only. And we really need to be aware of this as coaches. And, you know, earlier, uh, or last year, last year, I gave a talk at Harvard Institute of Coaching on uh, addressing and managing trauma when coaching clients. And uh, in, in this year, you know, coming up, I'm I'm speaking at a national conference, uh, actually a few conferences that in uh, an international conference on on trauma in coaching. And so really continuing to educate and give coaches the tools for how to recognize and manage trauma. And, and so this is something that as, as we are becoming more aware of, of trauma and allowing ourselves and, and the nuanced uh, manifestations of trauma, perfectionism, workaholism, these types of things, the more that we know, the better we can help ourselves and the better we can help our colleagues, the better that we can uh, support other physicians. You know, so so those things are, are, are really important. And and of course, you know, I'm continuing on in my own coaching business and and uh, working one on one with folks with uh, with, you know, physicians in incorporating EFT into, you know, the coaching and really giving them this broad uh, toolkit for how to manage their own stresses and their overwhelm and and to learn not to be afraid to connect with their humanity and themselves, because that's so so important. We are, we've been really taught and, and made to felt like we've been made to, I mean, it's always a choice ultimately of really putting parts of ourselves off to the side and that adds to our burnout. Right. And so really coming back to this whole person, we are a whole person in all the ways and and learning to integrate all of that as part of our ourselves. And that's you know part of the work that I really do with my clients. I love it so much. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Melissa Hankins, for taking the time out, coming on Dr. Me First. And as always, my friend, and you know this, the badass in me honors the badass. In yes, me. badasses unite. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Hey, friend. So my word of the year for 2023 is going to be slacking for two reasons. One, I am really going to pull back the throttle in 2023 and see what life is like when I just do enough. Not extra, not overboard, not overworking, burning myself out, burning candle at both ends, slacking. Something I don't think I've really ever done my entire life. I'm excited about it, but I'm also worried, of course, <laughs> the classic OCD overworker, how this is going to be. The other reason that slack is going to be my word in 2023 is that's where I'm going to hang out. 
you're not going to see me in a lot of new places. I'm just going to be waiting for you in my DMs on Slack. Yeah, I'll probably occasionally post on Instagram and still send out a few emails. But you're going to see a change in Burnt Out to Badass and Dr. Me First. You're going to just see me waiting willingly and quietly in the corner for those who are ready for help. No more blasting lots of advertisements and marketing and pushing people. When you're ready, you'll come and we're going to see how it goes. So there you go. That's my word for the year. How about you? Have you picked a word? I'd love to hear about it. Send me an email. Better yet, send me a DM in Slack. Or maybe you want to join me and let's make this the year of slacking. All right, friend. Remember, if work is your drug, rest is your recovery. Come over and hang out with Slack and me and start slacking off a little bit in life. Hopefully this is the first of many conversations you will hear from Dr. Melissa Hankins about trauma, about being trauma-informed in coaching and in medicine. I just love sitting down and talking with her. We proceeded to talk for about 10 more minutes <laughs> after we got off the recording. She's just an all-around great person. And if you yourself, if anything resonated in our conversation today, I really highly encourage you to reach out to her. And also know that you can reach out on the Aaron Wiseman Badass Slack group. We're still hanging out in there, still having great conversations, and we'd love to support you as well. All right, my friends, like always, remember, your life, your calling, your pulse matters. See ya! See ya!